0: growing up on the prairies, uh, you kind of had to create your own fun. And so during the summer, if we wanted to water ski, which we often wanted to, and we had no boat, and we had no lake, so we had a problem, but we had trucks and we had canals. And so the tow rope would be connected to the bumper, the truck was up on the bank, and the skier was ready in the canal. And, And... Looking back at it, I was, I'm thinking, that was so foolish. If we got too close to the bank, we would have been dead. But we created our own fun. In the winter, we moved to the frozen water. Usually it was hockey, but when those west winds would blow across the prairie, uh, hockey wasn't so fun. Your net would blow. Everything would just seem to blow away. And so you'd get on that open prairie and you'd find a piece of ice, and it just didn't seem to work. And so in those moments, we took a sheet of plywood, and our sheet of plywood became our sail, and our skates became our boat. And we had great fun just across the slough, not a lake, it was a slough. We would, we would glide across the lake, and the truck would come and pick us up, and we'd do it over and over and over and over again until, usually till it got dark. Our passage this morning speaks a lot about wind. Uh, it's not so playful, though. It's actually much more depressing. Nine times in, in this book of Ecclesiastes that we w- that we have in front of us, there's this phrase, a striving after wind. Uh, one of the translations says, chasing the wind. The idea is simply, it's pointless, it's meaningless, it's, it's, it's vanity to chase the wind. How do you catch it? What do you do with it? Last week, Solomon looked at the facts of nature, and he showed us Uh, In the first 11 verses, the futility of everything under the sun. And today Solomon is going to show us from his own experience that everything is meaningless. Again, uh, this should be a fun morning, shouldn't it? Everything is meaningless. Everything is vanity. Allow me to break down our passage, Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes chapter 1, starting in verse 12. Uh, The first section, I think in verses 12 through 15, Solomon is simply giving us a summary statement. So he's just just unpacking a summary. And then verses 16 to chapter 2, verse 11, we have a bit of Solomon's autobiography. He's kind of telling us about his life, his experiences. And then finally in verse 12, to the end of the chapter, of chapter 2, Solomon gives us his evaluation. And in that context, there's just a, a slight ray of sunshine. And that's where we'll end up with that slight ray of sunshine. Let's start with his summary statement. Solomon has already told us that everything is vanity, and he literally means everything under the sun is vanity. The word there that we talked about is 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 found thirty five times in the book of Ecclesiastes and it 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 speaks it, it the picture it's painting is the idea of breath. It disappears quickly you can't grab it, you can't control it, you can't. It's gone, and that's how Solomon describes everything under the sun as vanity. And today he he paints the picture of a striving after the wind, a pointless venture. Nine times he will use this phrase. Five times in this section, a striving after the wind. It's pointless. It's useless. And rather than pointing back to what he did in the past, just looking at the brute facts of nature, in this context, he's going to look at his life experiences and show us that it's all vanity. Look what he says to start off with. He begins off and he says uh, in verse 13, it is an unhappy business. What's an unhappy business? This meaningless venture of life. That's what he's talking about. He goes on in verse 15, what is crooked cannot be made straight. This is his summary. He says we can't, we can't, even, we can't even, as humans, straighten up what's been crooked. Now, now, now he's not saying that we don't, can't accomplish anything. Let me give you an example. There are things that we have done in the context of medicine that we've been able to fix things, and, and thank God for that. But Solomon's point is, yeah, maybe we fix this, but then something else will get us. And, and this realist Solomon is just going, it's all vanity. It's all meaningless. What's the point? But allow me to draw your attention in this summary to an important point. In verse 13, Solomon says it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man. Did you catch that? We could read that and just miss it completely. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man. In other words, Solomon is saying this unhappiness, this meaningless, this this, uh, vanity can actually be traced back to the will of God. Funk on that for a few minutes. This pointlessness can be traced back to God Himself. God has given this to the children of man. Now, notice the children of man, man is singular. In the Hebrew, literally, the children of Adam. So God has given this, and we can, as we as we unpack Scripture, we begin to realize that God has given this to those who are descendants of Adam because Adam was our representative. Adam represented for us, and Adam, when he sinned, therefore we all were born in sin, according to the Book of Romans. And you say, "Well, that's not fair. I didn't make that choice." But but hold, stop for a moment. October 21st, we're having an election. We've for for I don't know how long we've been a country—125, 30, Well, more than that, 150. I'm showing my age. Yeah, we just celebrated that, right? Yeah, yeah. We've had we've had prime ministers, right? Now n- every prime minister. If you look back, there are things that they've done, and you go, ah, oh, good, that, that, that was good for me. As our representative, they have made decisions that have actually benefited us. There are decisions, there are things that our, our prime ministers have done that made us look silly in the eyes of the rest of the world, and there are things our prime ministers have done that have actually been detrimental for us. I was talking to a a farmer who uh, actually has avidly supported this little church over the course of the last three years. And he says every time that Trump tweets something, their prices drop. And, And so he said what he does actually has an impact on their pocketbook. Solomon is simply telling us that that this futility has been given to us to all the children of Adam. Now last week I concluded by encouraging you to consider Romans chapter 8 verse 20 and 21. And Paul says in Romans, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of man. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Paul is saying what Solomon has said. That the creation, that's us, was subjected to the futility, subjected to futility, not that's vanity, to, to, to pointlessness. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. And then there's this glimmer of hope. In hope, he says, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Well, let's carry on. That's Solomon's summary statement, and now he begins to unpack his autobiography. And we notice that in verse 16, Solomon begins by his pursuit of, of wisdom. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all before who all who were over at Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom being simply knowledge that is applied. And at first glance, this sounds contradictory because what does Paul, uh, Solomon do? He, goes, he, he, he unpacks that and literally later he'll say that even this wisdom is a striving after wind. Proverbs. book of Proverbs, Solomon also wrote much of that. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 5, we read these words, "...that the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance." to understand a proverb and to say in the words of the wise and and, and their riddles. So in one sense, the Scriptures tell us that we are to to obtain wisdom, and and now now Solomon says that it's futile, it's useless, it's meaningless. Is this contradictory? It would seem so. But in Proverbs, the passage I just read you, verse 7, the very next verse, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The, the, the beginning of wisdom is, 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 is the starting place is to fear God. To fear God is to believe in Him, to trust in Him. To, to, to fear God is to say that I, I acknowledge that there is a God. To fear God is to say that this God has actually given us commands and, 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 and told us this is how we ought to live. To, to fear God means, is just to say, that not only has He told us how to live, but someday He will judge those who, who, who live accordingly, one, or, or don't. That's what it means to fear God. Wisdom begins with an understanding that that is true and I want to live in light of that. And it seems to me from Ecclesiastes that Solomon's starting point is not the fear of the Lord, but himself. Notice I said in my heart in verse 16. He says it again in verse 2, chapter 1. I said in my heart. This is the ongoing the phrase that keeps coming up over and over and over and over again in this passage, Solomon is starting from his own perspective, he thinks from his from his own mind, his own heart, his own being, he can he can find and figure out and 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 come to grips with what wisdom is, knowledge, understanding, all of those things. I don't know what happened to Solomon of Proverbs and Solomon of Ecclesiastes, but this seems like there's a difference there. But in the end, Solomon tells us in this pursuit of wisdom, the end is vexation and sorrow. Those are the words he uses. Chapter 2, Solomon says, okay, well, I'm going to pursue pleasure. Enjoy yourself. This pleasure, we're told in, in uh, verse 3, pleasure of wine. Verse 8, concubines, literally woman and sex is what he's he says that's what he's pursuing that. The delight of the sons of men. Again, the sons of Adam. The word concubine there in verse uh, uh, 8 is actually the only place we find it in the scriptures. And, and the translators are struggling with how do we define that word or how do we translate that word. I, I think they probably got it as close as they can, but the, but the, the, um, the root word there is actually breasts. And so you get the idea. It's a sexual term. And so Solomon speaks of pursuing pleasure. I kept my heart from no pleasure. In verse 10 he says, whatever my eyes desire. Doesn't it sound like Eve in the garden? She sees the at the apple. Her eyes see it and, and she desires it. And Solomon simply saying, "I, I, I desired these things. I, I, I my heart wanted them, and I went after them." Now, stop for a moment. I think it was Pascal who says, "All men seek happiness." I think that's true. All men seek happiness. All people seek happiness you don't get up in the morning to go, I'm going to do what just makes me miserable. But how do we go about it? No, Solomon concludes that the wine, the folly, the sex um, is again just a striving after wind. But then we have the Solomon's great building ventures. Uh, we're told from history, we're told from Scripture that what Solomon did was astounding. But in this passage, verse 4, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I, ma- I made I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I, I bought male and female slaves and slaves who were born in my house I had also great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had been before me. I gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of the kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines to delight to the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Well, maybe if I build something, then I will find meaning. But in the end, again, Solomon concludes, yet in the end, all is vanity and is striving after the wind. It's like a breath. It disappears. It's gone. You can't hang on to it. You can't control it. What's Solomon's assessment or evaluation? Verse 12, he says, So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly, for what can man do to for what can the man do who comes after the king only what has already been done and then i saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly as there is more gain in light than in darkness so he makes a conclusion he goes okay if i if i'm looking at folly or i'm looking at wisdom wisdom's a good idea there's more gain in it and i think we probably look around the room and we we, we would conclude yeah he's right But then we're told, then I saw, verse 13, um, verse 12, 14. The wise person has his eyes and his head, but the fools walk in darkness, and yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart, this also was vanity. For of the wise wisest of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance. Did you hear that? He says, it doesn't matter if I'm wise or if I'm a fool. The end is the same. We're both going to die. And, 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 and he says, there's no enduring remembrance. He's after permanence. And aren't we all after that? I've talked to believers and unbelievers before their death. And I've heard things uh, 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 such as, "I hope I'm remembered," or, "Or I hope I hope my children uh, are set up for life," or there's, there's this desire that something remains, that their life was not for naught. That's our desire, and and consistently and constantly, I hear over and over again, whether they were believers or unbelievers, that they're in a better place. That they're still continuing. I never got that. If you're an atheist, why would you believe that there's something else? Completely inconsistent. And Solomon is just simply stating reality, and he says, you know what? It doesn't matter what... If I'm wise or if I'm a fool, I'm going to die. Maybe I'll live a few years longer, but I'm still going to die. And you go, well, man, this is a morbid book. What are we doing in this book? Hang on. Paul tells Timothy that this is profitable. number of years ago, well, actually, notice what he also says. He says, if I, you know, I build stuff, and he says, if I have stuff, basically, I'm just going to turn it over to somebody else who will enjoy it. They didn't toil for it. They didn't work for it. They're going get, to get, get it. A number of years ago, I was in a, in a nursing home. I was preaching, and I went there, I think once, once a month while I was in seminary, so I had this circuit of different homes I would go to, and I got to know the people, and it was, it was actually kind of, some of them were tremendously encouraging, and yet there was a reality there in these nursing homes. This was their last stop. You know, they, they weren't going to go spend about three years at the nursing home and then move into a bigger place. Well, some of them were, called heaven. But I remember this one conversation with this one lady. It's never, it's never left me. It was just before I was about to speak, and, and she came and talked to me, and she began to tell me about those people. Those people, and those people happened to be of a different color than her, but those people, that's how she called them, what she called them. She said, those, those, those people who bought my place, they haven't taken care of the flowers in the front of the house. The lawn isn't mowed. The house needs some painting. And it was as if that's, it was as if everything she worked for was now in the hands of somebody else, and it was it was it was disintegrating. And she was, and I thought, oh how sad, lady, you're not going back there. You can't hang on to it. You can't control it. It's but a breath. It's meaningless. It's futile. Solomon's conclusion is simply this our problem is death. And in this life there is no gain. No matter how many toys we accumulate, no matter how much experiences we have accumulated, it will all be gone. And he literally he unpacks that, I think, in a very real, honest way. Verse 17. So I hated life. Verse 20. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toils of my labors under the sun. Wow. I'm glad he doesn't stop there. And actually, you've got to get to the end of the book to really see, see it unpacked. But, but, he, but at this moment, Solomon gives us just a, a, a glimmer, a ray of sunshine. We find it in verse 24. Oh, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For, for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For the one who, to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This also was vanity and a striving after wind. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. Tomorrow when you get up to go to work, Can I encourage you to see that that work is a gift that God has given you? Life is not about gain. Life is a gift. I'm going to get a couple late girls. I, I didn't even warn them, but i got, I got to tell you the story. Yesterday in Costco... Lynn and I were going to go to Costco just to grab a couple of things. We were in a hurry, and, and Jemima and Rochelle decided to go with us. We were completely surprised. Why would they want to go to Costco with us? They grabbed a cart, and we grabbed a cart, and we went our separate ways. Then we ran into this, these two. Well, we actually saw only one, and we saw a cart filled with these huge stuffed animals. And all of a sudden, out oh, pops—was it Rochelle or was it Rochelle? I think that time, out oh, pops Rochelle, and all these animals went flying all over the place. And they began to laugh, and they just—they were just having a blast. And they began to proceed to tell us that they did this throughout the store. And all kinds of individuals were like the—the the shock on some people's faces. First off, things like you really don't need all those. Uh, all those uh stuffed animals, and all of a sudden somebody pops out and they go, "Oh, Lynn and I were talking last night before we went to bed the 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 fun and the the joy of youth. That moment was a gift. it really was when we sat down a little later Gideon joined us for supper last night and 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 to be able to sit around the table together five of us and then and then Josh called and so Lynn put him on speakerphone and so literally the six of us had a meal together well Josh listened to us eat but that's a gift you see, so much of our life, we see, we see things, we see work as a stepping stone to get something, to get to the next place, to get to the next step. We see the things of life as, as, as stepping stones to get and get and get, to gain, to hang on to, to control. But we can't, can we? Solomon simply says, these are gifts. Death is still coming. But this is a gift. Lynn and I have learned to say over the last three years that every day is a gift. It really is. A gift that we've been able to share together. Just another day together. Another moment. God is good. But but because of Adam's sin and because we are in Adam, uh, we also are going to die. And that's reality. And I think Solomon is is awakening us and he's trying to give us some wisdom and he's trying to shake us a little bit and he's trying to say, live in light of the reality of death. Don't be after the gain, but be after the gift. Now, the New Testament has so much more to say about this, but let me just leave you with a couple of thoughts. Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to read the first three verses of Colossians chapter 2. For I want you to know, Paul says, how great a struggle I have for you and those at Laodicea. See, Paul, is he's working, he's toiling. How great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not seen my face, me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Did you hear that? Paul says, I'm striving. I'm working really hard. Even for those who I haven't seen face to face, that their hearts might be encouraged, no despair. They might be knit together in love so that they might reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. You want wisdom? It's found in Jesus well, there's a whole lot more I could say there. But contemplate, consider that. Think about this. As we're going through Ecclesiastes, Christ, Well, look at verse 3. It's in Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Let me give you one last word, verse to, to, to consider. Philippians, again, the Apostle Paul, while he's in prison, he writes these words, For me to live as Christ And to die is gain. Back when I was in seminary, one of my professors simply says, Elroy, he says, we could change those words. He says, if for me to live is my home, then to die is loss. If for me to live is Lynn, then to die is loss. If for, if for me to live is riches, then to die is loss. You can put anything in that column, but if for me to live is Christ, then to die is gain. It is in Christ that we find the answer to what Solomon was so hard, so, so hard pursuing after. Do you live with the reality of Jesus Christ at the forefront of your life? Do you consider your work and your food and your shelter as gifts from God, gifts gratefully to be enjoyed? Or do you see these things as something to be gained, clung to, collected, and stored? Jesus says, seek not these things. And finally, do you live for Christ or do you live for something or someone else? Let's pray. Lord, I love you. I thank you for giving us this profitable word of Ecclesiastes. Kind of a a, a different way for us to be kind of slapped in the face, to to be awoken. But Lord, I pray that we would live in light of the reality of death, but we would also live in light of the reality of Christ. And so, Lord, would you speak to us now, but also next week and throughout the week and as we go through this series, Lord, would you open our eyes and would you see, would you help us to, would you help us to pursue what only truly matters, and that's you. Lord, we love you, thank you for your love for us, and as we gather around the table now, Father, would you even speak to us through the cup and the bread, in your name we pray. Amen.